0: For a laying hen, the working day starts much as our own. She wakes up and eats breakfast.
1: We run the feeders and the the bossy ones eat first. And as they fill up, we run the feeders again so that the ones further down the pecking order will get to eat. And again, so that the ones further right down the pecking order will get to eat. When they've all eaten and they've walked around and
0: spread the litter around and laid some eggs. And after brekkie, if you're a chook on Meg Parkinson's farm, you'll get to go outside. We open the doors and, once again, it's the bossy ones that
1: go out first and as they they go out, they they go out
0: slowly. When the bossy chickens are out of the way, Meg will run the feeder one more time so the remaining 20 or so chickens get a chance to eat. She says they're usually the ones getting a hard time from the others.
1: We do run a special one just for them so they can eat at their leisure because otherwise they're not allowed in, you know. So it's really important for chooks that they're all of a equal weight. And the way you do that is making sure that they all get to eat.
0: Meg's shed's about 40 metres long. There are long nesting boxes with a conveyor belt running between them. The chickens lay their eggs in the boxes and the eggs roll onto the belt straight to the packing shed. By the time the chooks get outside, it's mid-morning. Meg's farms in South Gippsland, one of the most fertile farming regions in Australia.
1: Where we live... We have long days and we have very short days. In the winter we have very short days. We don't really get daylight properly till about eight in the morning and it's dark at quarter to five, five o'clock. So on those days they'd go out about 10.30, in the summer they go out about nine thirty-nine. It's just because the days are longer and you, know, you, you just adjust to what, what's happening in the world.
0: I'm Wendy Hargraves. This is The Good Egg, an Australian eggs podcast about the living conditions of hens. Meg Parkinson's free-range egg farm is the sort of place I'm looking for when I'm buying free-range eggs at the shops. She's listed as having 1,500 hens per hectare, but Meg says that's out of caution. A normal day at the farm sees about 300 hens per hectare. Meg runs the farm with her husband, Jeff. Together they take care of the birds, grade the eggs and manage sales. When there's thunder and lightning, they pop the cricket on the radio to keep the chickens calm. When they get outside mid-morning, the chickens are surrounded by cypress trees. The
1: chooks just love. And they go under the cypress trees and and they put the pine needles through their feathers and they just love it. They preen, they... lay putting the oil through their feathers to keep them nice. And of course pine needles have oil, pine oil as we all know, and they like putting them through their feathers.
0: On Meg's farm, the challenge of keeping 4,000 hens healthy and safe starts before young hens even arrive on the farm.
1: So you've got to buy them from somebody who you know will supply you healthy chooks. When we buy them, all our chooks are properly vaccinated. We don't take them unless they are. And we have them tested for salmonella before they moved to make sure that they're healthy, that they're they're not storing salmonella. And then you look after them, you know you you give them like the litter on the floor, we we have litter on our sheds, and the litter on the floor is good quality litter, you're not putting in rubbish. you let them turn it over and break it down and take something out and put fresh stuff in. Some of the litter that we do is is off our paddocks.
0: And like any farm animal, the quality of the feed is the key to everything.
1: You've got to give them quality feed. It's no good buying the cheapest feed available. It doesn't work like that. So you've got to buy them good quality food that has enough protein and enough energy into it so that, just like people, you know, if you don't get enough energy in your diet, you don't achieve anything, you don't do anything, you don't think well. The well, chooks do like to have a decent food and then they range. No matter what anyone tells you, chooks do not eat grass, but they eat bugs and they eat seeds and if you let your grass grow around your house, if you let rye grass grow, it will form seeds. You can take those seeds and you can make bread out of that. The
0: chooks won't eat the grass but they will eat the seeds and they love bugs. Meg says she can tell when it's caterpillar season just by looking at the chooks. And they're walking
1: back up the hill to the shed and they're waddling like a duck because they've eaten so much they can't walk like a chook. They're just in heaven when they have bugs and when there's lots of bugs you get
0: yolks that are bright orange. Monitoring hen health comes down to experience. Meg says you can tell a lot just by watching their behaviour.
1: The classic one is if they're looking at walls. If a chook's standing there looking at a wall with her neck into her body, then she's a very sick chook. You take her out straight away, separate her out from the others and have a good look at it. That's the alarm bell sign. The other thing is if they're not lively, if they're not interested in what's going on around them, if they're not trying to fly up on your shoulder, then... You have a good look at them because a healthy chook is an active chook.
0: Meg and Jeff started egg farming 30 years ago with 500 chooks.
1: In those days you could make a living out of 500 chooks. It's not like that now.
0: She says the cost of running an egg farm has driven expansion.
1: The eggs now, you look in the supermarket, cage eggs are what, $3, dollars two fifty, dollars Free range eggs in the supermarket are $4, dollars four fifty. dollars We were getting that. 12 years, 15 years ago. The costs have gone up. The terms of trade have gone down, which means the cost of everything has gone up. And so we get less money for our eggs now than we did then, and the cost of everything we buy is more expensive.
0: Meg's free-range farm is about as small as you can get on a commercial scale. It's as close as you come to those pretty pictures on egg cartons of chooks frolicking in green paddocks. But even though Meg ticks all the free-range boxes, she can see the benefits of all styles of egg farming.
1: Nothing is black and white, you know. The cages today in the air-conditioned sheds are very nice. I mean, they really are. It's somewhat surreal because they tend, they go up, you know. They go up four layers or whatever, and some people feel a bit weird of having, you know, 50,000 chooks multiplied by two eyes, looking down at them. They, they start to feel that, you know, they've got no privacy left in the world. <laughs> we do free range because that's what we've always done. I grew up with free range, you know, it's what we've always done. It wasn't called free range in those days, but anyway, that's what it was always done. But that's not to say that there's anything wrong with doing it in other systems that there are issues of disease and biosecurity. Once again, it's a case of looking after your chooks and knowing what you're doing.
0: Hmm, that one looks pretty good. The egg white is sitting up nice and high. It's The second one looks good too. It's not running everywhere on the pan. Watching my free-range eggs sizzling away in the fry pan, I'm thinking about what Reuben Dare from Kinross told me about what consumers look for in an egg. I hate it when you put eggs in a pan and the egg whites just collapse everywhere. This is holding together in perfect little circles. And the egg yolk... It's sitting up nice and high. That hasn't collapsed down into the egg either. Knowing that so much about this egg is designed to please me, it's kind of weird. It makes you wonder what a real egg is supposed to be. Yeah, it's probably a, a whitish orange rather than a bright orange, which we've learned is just the chook diet. The colour of the yolk, the colour of the shell, the position of the yellow in the white the egg size. And let's see how we go here. I like mine sunny side up, so I have to be a little bit gentle here. Getting it out of the pan. We like to think of eggs as this natural food that pops from frolicking chickens into our pan with relative ease. But the choices the farmer is making, the good stuff, the trade-offs, they're all coming together to feed us as each of us crack into hundreds of eggs every year. Let's go. Okay, the yolk looks good. It's oozing out, rather than running out. It's good for dipping soldiers in. Mm. The yolk is creamy. It's really, it's exactly what I wanted. The whites have a little bit of A lovely, crisp, fried bottom with little crunchy bits on the side. I eat eggs several times a week. Scrambled, poached, fried and in recipes. I'm not alone. In Australia, we eat a lot of eggs.
2: Well, per capita consumption, as of last year, was 247 eggs per person per year, which people seem to like. Tally boards is quite strong internationally, It puts us right up. there, not necessarily top of the pops, Mexico and Japan, very high in the 300s, uh, but we are Strong egg eaters here in Australia at 247.
0: That's Rowan McMoneys.
2: Managing Director of Australian Eggs.
0: So far, we've been talking about the living conditions of hens and how consumers are able to choose where their eggs come from. But there's a scale to the egg industry and it takes a bit to get your head around it. Think back over the past week. How many eggs have you eaten, do you reckon? Every day, whole eggs are consumed in my house by at least one member of my family. And then eggs are in so many other foods. If you're only thinking of those sizzling eggs in the pan, you might want to double that figure.
2: So around about roughly half are sold through retail and half are sold through food service. So eggs are in everything, <laughs> like eggs are in lots of stuff. They've got these wonderful qualities that are quite hard to emulate, emulsifying qualities are are binding agent and, and glazing for baking. So they pop up everywhere. And if you look at the back of your packets, you might say it will contain eggs or traces of egg.
0: Every day, about 17 million eggs are produced in Australia, meeting a huge demand from consumers. The egg industry's supply chain is a massive undertaking – and there are trade-offs to deliver eggs to everyone.
2: 95% of Australian households consume eggs. So it's truly a, a staple, a national staple. And of course, one of the reasons for that is that it's an incredibly affordable source of, of nutritious proteins. Eggs are enormously nutritious. It's a cheating of the system in a way because the natural process for the hen is to pack all these wonderful vitamins and minerals into this food source for the chick and we're able to extract the product and have the benefit of that almost balanced diet and they are truly a whole food. So it's a very um, high quality source of protein and I think has 11 vitamins and minerals. We're eating more eggs over time. So egg consumption has gone up from I think 190 about a decade ago to now 247 eggs per person per year. So it's been a steady increase. Part of it is population growth and you know, the profile of our population because we do have a growing population and, and a lot of immigration. And when people come to this country, they come from the world and the world eats eggs. So it is in, in every diet across the world. But things are going to get a little bit more interesting because society faces some real challenges over the next period.
0: Hen health and freedom is a key concern for many consumers, but Rowan sees welfare as sitting alongside other important issues. Future sources of nutrition and food sustainability are also big concerns, both here in Australia and overseas.
2: And, you know, policy makers and research groups are looking into long term into the 2040s and the 2050s and seeing some real concerns as to how we're going to work this out as even as a global community in terms of managing health and nutrition of our uh, populations and also the sustainability of the planet and it really comes down to population growth and the pressure that that's putting on our societies generally. So how do eggs fit into that? Really extremely well I would anticipate because You know, for as long as people need protein and they're going to, they're going to need protein that has a relatively low carbon footprint and can be done really quite efficiently. And frankly, that's the great strength of the egg industry.
0: And egg farmers are working on getting that carbon footprint even lower. Efficient use of feed and solar-powered sheds are all part of egg farming's future. But one big one is waste. Chickens produce an awful lot of poo.
2: Our industry, like many primary industries, produces a lot of waste, and that waste is enormously rich in nutrients. And there's either complexity or cost involved to get it to be usually a composted fertilizer product. But when you start working on that, you find ways relatively quickly and the capacity for the industry to expand, you know, the development and the processing of manufactured byproducts that can be used in other areas is enormously exciting.
0: It's one of those rare times when doing the right thing also helps the bottom line.
2: But in each of the key areas, there are actually incentives for farming businesses to drive improvement. So save feed and save the climate impact of feed, save money. So, you know, we'll continue to to work on that for industry and they'll continue to be engaged by that process and work on it themselves Solar will will continue to go up and other renewable energy will continue to be installed uh, because it's affordable and saves money as much as saving uh, the planet. And the waste component, again, is an opportunity.
0: Now, Rowan says there's not a huge difference between the farming systems in terms of carbon footprint. While free range has slightly higher mortalities and uses more feed, caged systems use more energy. But there is one caveat.
2: They're all really quite efficient, particularly where you have intensive farming. And uh, that's not always the most popular aspect from a community point of view. I don't think people like the word intensive.
0: So whether it's free range, barn laid or caged eggs, no matter the system, bigger operations are likely to have the lowest carbon footprint for the amount of eggs they're producing.
2: But the fact is intensive is a synonym for efficient. And if you're doing things more efficiently, you're having less of an impact on the planet. So an intensive free-range, a barn or cage system, they're all really quite efficient. And they're very efficient as compared to other other food sources and, and generally would have a lower carbon footprint.
0: For this consumer, smaller has always been better. I grew up on a farm, and I like knowing the local egg farmer at my farmer's market. With only a few hundred hens per hectare, it seems like a much nicer way to keep chooks. But if I also want to minimise my carbon footprint, well, that's another trade-off. And hotter temperatures only make it more complicated.
2: A warmer climate that we're all experiencing at the moment is a big challenge for our industry. The greatest advancement in welfare over the last couple of decades has been environmentally controlled sheds and the extent to which hens are protected from the extremes of what is really a very harsh climate, certainly periodically a very, very harsh climate. So obviously it changes the dynamic with respect to to management. And the hens self-select, and they're not foolish. If it's 28 degrees inside a, a shed and, you know, 44 outside, they're not going to range much that day. I think it's important that the community, you know, think, thinks about it themselves and applies a bit of common sense in that dynamic. We certainly years ago had conjecture in relation to the extent to which hens were ranging, and there were views put forward that if they weren't ranging all the time, then, you know, that was, couldn't be called free-range, etc., And I really couldn't agree with that. I think if you were standing next to the farmer on a 44 degree day down there in South Australia during a solid peak wave for a week, you wouldn't dream of forcing those birds to be out in that weather. You wouldn't want to be out in it yourself. And you know the environmental control sheds deliver that. But they also, just to make life a little bit more complex, they use a lot of energy. So that welfare benefit comes at a a cost with respect to carbon footprint and, and planetary impact. This is the new world that we're moving into. We're being tested, I think, as a society on a couple of long-term issues that are coming home. And we're gonna have to increase our level of understanding and our level of sophistication with which we engage with them. In that case study, in that example, very, very hot day, hens need to be protected. No one of those issues tells you the right way to handle it it needs to be balanced in context but understanding the various trade-offs is going to be more important going forward because otherwise you've got people from the side saying you're running intensive agriculture you're wasting electricity you're um, doing something bad for the planet and others saying you're not protecting your hands if you don't do that <laughs> it's bad for the planet so it's going to be very important to work proactively to engage with the community as we have been trying to do
0: It rarely gets hot on Meg Parkinson's Free Range Chook Farm in South Gippsland, where an afternoon breeze sweeps across from the coast every day like clockwork. But when hot weather strikes, it's not just the chickens who want to be inside the climate-controlled shed.
1: When we had the Black Saturday, and we didn't have fires in either way, but it was very, very hot. It was the hottest day that's ever been in our area, Ever. Our sheds were substantially cooler than outside, so we went in the shed too and turned on the cricket because chooks like cricket. Because, like for all farmers, you know,
0: you have air conditioning for your chooks but you don't have air conditioning in your house. Um, Meg has noticed a shift over the years in the questions people ask about her chickens. Since they know we
1: do eggs, the questions start flying, you know. And, And people just,
0: they really want to know, but they
1: don't know what it is they don't know.
0: She's also noticed a creeping anthropomorphism in the questions.
1: You know, they ask if the chooks are happy and, well, I don't know. I mean, they they live well and they eat well and they come back in every night, which suggests that they they want to come in. But it's not a question any human can answer because you're not a chook. (laughs) But I think it's just a matter of the fact that People are looking for something, and I'm not sh- quite sure what they're looking for, but I don't think it's actually about the chooks. I think there's, it's more about not, not feelings that they know
0: what's going to be happening. Maybe people don't want to feel guilty about their purchase. We all want to feel good about what we're buying to eat, right? Meg thinks they're hoping for a simple answer, something reassuring. When the answer's simple... It's easy to feel good.
1: But of course there's nothing simple about where an egg comes from.
0: So we're back in the egg aisle at the supermarket. Now that I know that egg farming is basically driven by our buying decisions, how can we get a true picture of the way our eggs are made? How can we cut through the jargon and marketing and make sure our purchases are in line with our values? Meg reckons you should get on the phone.
1: Ring up the farmer and talk to him. Lots of people ring us and we have a chat and tell them. But a lot of people know us anyway because we've been around a long time and people know who we are and what we
0: do.
2: But people still ring us. Rowan
0: says we should double or even triple check the facts about egg farming.
2: Seek to absorb information from multiple sources and that includes whatever's on pack, you know, and their, their promises or you know aspects of marketing, which you would hope are very accurate, (laughs) but always with that that positive spin that marketing brings. But that might give them the the promise and a sense of what they're getting. They should also invest in building a broader understanding of the industry and and how it operates. But if you're interested, there are places that you can go and, and we try and be that credible source of information. I'm sure we're not the only one but you may also want to go to other sources, including there is a lot of you know, campaign and, and activist activity with respect to lots of things, including the agriculture sector, including the egg industry. And I think it's fair to say that those campaigns do, do exaggerate issues. But they're real issues, and if you're interested in some of the issues in relation to an industry, they can be important reference points.
0: But at the end of the day, there are always trade-offs, even when you're fully informed. If you eat food, you're having an impact on the world. It's just a fact. It's up to each of us to decide what those impacts will be.
2: And if you're a, call or well, you want a, a concerned citizen, if you're concerned about planetary impact and you're concerned about welfare... I'm afraid you're the one that's going to have to middle that issue and work out which egg is right for you. And um, the only comfort uh, that you can take at that point is standing in front of that category. There is a lot of choice. If there's some important aspect of the industry that's unbeknownst to us, demand will emerge and supply will follow.
0: When any egg is laid on one of Day's eggs farms... Whether it's caged, barn laid, or free range, it will eventually wind up in a huge shed in Two Wells, a tiny town north of Adelaide in South Australia.
3: So that's picking up sixty eggs at a time and putting them onto the rollers. So this is we're at the end of the production. So that's the final. We're going through. That, that's just checking them for blood or for. Uh, dirt or uh, manure on them, and this, this sets them out if there's any leakers, like there's broken eggs on the tray, the computer rejects it, and it into the reject. So it goes through here, this is very loud in here, so that will reject anything that, that has come through broken or dirty.
0: Day's Eggs Managing Director, Dion Andrey, is clearly proud of his high-tech grading and distribution centre. Everything is mechanised and streamlined, with strict biosecurity measures.
3: This is a sonic crack detector. So this will actually tap the egg, and if the sound of the egg is not right, it means it's got a crack in it. So it sends it to the it rejects. It sends it computerised to the reject lane.
0: We're standing together in a sparse, meticulously clean room with people in high-vis operating big robotic arms or scribbling into forms that keep everything in order. The scale of the place is mesmerising. It's a long way from the little egg farm Dion and his wife Anne took over 30 years ago. Back then, the couple would sit in the chook shed and clean each egg by hand. So it's
3: all pre-programmed into the machine and at any given time the number of eggs comes up that have been graded, it stops. They'll change the packaging over changes into whatever package it needs to be, and then they make sure they're going to make sure that every egg carton there has to be verified by a second signature, that if it's a free-range lane and you pack packing free-range, all the eggs on the machine need to be free-range.
0: In the next room, a huge warehouse, there are boxed eggs stacked from floor to ceiling.
3: So then the eggs come into those dozens, the dozens are put into those boxes, the outers, what we call the outers, and then they're conveyed around to the warehouse. So
0: this is a giant fridge, basically?
3: Basically, yeah, this, this runs at 10 degrees. So this is we're obligated to the markets that we do to always carry at least two or three days' worth of their stock, and that's one of our marketing or, you know, like our requirements to get their permission to sell their eggs. Uh, So there's a constant rotation happening in here and the boys uh, in the warehouse are constantly picking stock and and taking it away, getting it ready for orders. And then we have loading docks at the other end and the semi just backs in, uh, loading dock, everything's just rolled in and then it goes down to the DC or to the market.
0: All the eggs from each production system wind up here in this room. It's um, a, giant, a giant refrigerated space, three storeys of pallets, and different coloured boxes of eggs. You've got blue, green, orange, red, and they're, uh, they go for, what would that be, 50 metres down? And then they wind up in our supermarkets, on our plates, In the cakes we bake. In the mayonnaise we spread on our sandwiches. That's a lot of work by those ladies out in the the barn, yeah?
3: yeah? (laughs) That's how two and a half million eggs get packed each week. That's the
0: scale. Yeah, it's massive scale. Look, I like going to my local farmer's market for a box of boutique free-range organic eggs. But having seen how the eggs are produced and talking to these farmers... I know more about what that decision means. I know that caged eggs still make me feel a bit uneasy, so I'll continue to pay top dollar for free-range eggs from a small-scale farmer. But now I can see how this decision impacts the whole system. And I can see my personal values at play in that choice, not just science and economics. I thought my choices helped create a better system by supporting small-scale farmers who do great things. But now I know it's not that simple. As more Australians demand free-range eggs at affordable prices, farmers face a whole new set of environmental and health challenges. The best farmers put their birds first. And like any industry, there are good and bad eggs. It's up to us as consumers to take responsibility for the food that we eat and find out how it's grown. That's the only way to know for sure. So ask questions. Find out exactly where your food comes from. I can tell you from experience, egg farmers love a chat. Thanks for listening to The Good Egg. Thanks to Dion Andre, Meg Parkinson. Ruben Dare, Brian Smith, Dana Campbell, Marcel Kahn, Jess Spencer and Hugh Miller for their time. The Good Egg is produced by Australian Eggs with audio craft producers Jess O'Callaghan and Glenn Morrow. Music is by Epidemic Sound. I'm Wendy Hargraves.